This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're heading into Super Bowl weekend. How excited are you about that? One of the reasons I'm acutely aware that Sunday is the big game, beside the fact that it's been carried on Fox, uh, is in trying to get guests, I've gotten a lot of, well, I'll be at the Super Bowl. I, I love these people. It's out in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, I love that they can just, you know, take the weekend and jet off there. And then I'm thinking, well, why aren't I there? I could do the show from the Super Bowl. In any event, the only, I was, I think there's kind of just an average amount of excitement about it. I, I did a quick search of the headlines and, you know, there's no particular rivalry or, you know, something to get people really hot about. The only mystery seems to be, and I think it's in the process of being resolved, is whether or not President Biden will grant the traditional Super Bowl interview to Fox News. And there hasn't been any arrangement, and Fox sort of proceeding as if it's not going to happen. Um, You know, it's not like it's anything in the Constitution, right? He can talk or not talk to Fox News. But it has been a tradition since 2009 when Barack Obama who had no love for Fox News, this is before I worked here, uh, did a Super Bowl interview with Bill O'Reilly. And it turned out all right. I mean, O'Reilly was somewhat aggressive with him, but it turned out all right. And I don't know. I know that Joe Biden just sat down with uh, Judy Woodruff, who's now transitioned to, I guess, kind of a part-time gig at PBS. Um, I think it would be good if he would talk to Shannon Bream or Brett Baer. Uh, but they may have made a different decision. You know, this whole thing about the kiss, you know, Doug Emhoff, Kamala Harris's husband, kissing Jill Biden at the State of the Union, and it was kind of awkward, and they wound up kissing on the lips. So a Univision reporter asked the vice president about this, and she says, well, I haven't seen the video. Why, like, why can't you just tell a joke and dismiss it as a light moment? Like, well, I'm glad they're getting along, or something that, you know, she's always holding back because she doesn't want to say the wrong thing. Speaking of somebody who doesn't have any worry about saying the wrong thing, Roseanne Barr, in an interview with the L.A. Times. Now, you may recall that, you know, her show was brought back many, many years after it was a huge hit for ABC. And here's Roseanne saying, when they killed my character off, because they wanted to continue without Roseanne Barr. That was a message to me. Knowing that I'm mentally ill or have mental health issues, that they did want me to commit suicide. They killed my character, and all of that was to say thank you for bringing 28 million viewers, which they never had before because we will never see again, because they can kiss my ass. She called this a witch burning. They just hated me so badly because I have talent, because I have an opinion. I'm the only person uh, who's lost everything in Hollywood. Uh, man, she is really on fire, and she is really upset, and she is not pulling any punches. I mean, obviously, there's no evidence that anybody connected with ABC or anybody else in Hollywood wanted her to take her own life. But I guess she's acknowledging the mental health issues. And in that part, you know, I think we have to listen with an open mind. You know, I'm like most people when I heard uh, that Burt Backrack had died, which is I don't have a really clear image of him. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about him. 
I knew he was a really popular songwriter. When you look at the list of songs that this guy churned out, he was just a hit machine. Yeah, he performed as well, but really his best songwriting was made famous by other people, particularly uh, Dionne Warwick, who sang I'll Say a Little Prayer, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? And then you go through the list. This Guy's in Love with You, Alfie, uh, won the Grammy eight times, prize-winning Broadway, uh, Broadway composer. Uh, he did the score for a lot of movies. Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, What's New Pussycat, a number of James Bond movies, Alfie. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, they're pop songs. They're incredibly catchy. They're not deep. They were not intended to be deep. But, you know, it's, it's real art to craft a pop song and, and tailor it to the artist. Um, and in a way that, you know, sells a lot of records. Or he won the uh, Oscar, he and his then-wife, for Best That You Can Do, the theme for Arthur. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So, But he was 94 and had a nice long life. Okay. Layoffs, media layoffs. Yahoo laying off 20% of its staff. News Corp, the parent of the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones. You know, this when the, this was split up about a decade ago. You have Fox News Media, which is basically television. You know, all the Fox local television stations, Fox News, Fox Business, uh, Fox Sports. And then you have kind of the print side, which is News Corp. So News Corp uh, is cutting about 5% of its jobs, about 1,200 50 uh, positions, uh, blaming the current economic environment. Obviously, a surge in interest rates and acute inflation had a tangible impact on all of our businesses, says CEO Robert Thompson. Now, having set the stage with all that, oh, there's one more thing I want to get to. I was on Martha McCallum's show on Fox uh, yesterday, and I was asked to talk about a proposal by Senator Josh Hawley that Congress should pass a law saying that nobody could be on social media unless they were 16 years old or older. And I'm sympathetic to what the senator is trying to accomplish. I do think social media can be very destructive to younger kids, especially young girls, uh, whether it's you know body image problems on Instagram, whether it's um, just feeling bullied, or the sheer addiction of it, so you're not doing your homework, you're not doing other activities. But what I had to say on the air was, speaking as a parent, it's just not realistic in this sense. These younger kids, they know a hundred ways around uh, these age limits. They know how to create you know, 20 fake accounts before you can blink. And I said, well, you know, I just, I happen to be familiar with somebody who used to make a lot of dancing on the roof videos and other, you know, just a whiz at TikTok. When the minimum age for TikTok, it is still 13, but well before this young person reached that minimum age, uh, was making a lot of, getting a lot of hits on TikTok. And then I talked about, okay, you're a parent, and you have to tell your kid, okay, you can't be on Snapchat. Well, everybody that that kid knows is on Snapchat, is snapping each other. They can look where everybody's location is. And the, the girl or boy can come back and say, look, 
you know, all of my friends do this all the time. I'm completely isolated if I'm not part of the conversation. Now, Martha McCallum came back and said, well, tough. you got to show them tough love. And, you know, I've had battles with, you know, how many hours are you going to spend on your phone? Of course, a lot of parents are addicted to their phone as well or need it for work or whatever. So it's a complicated question is my main point. And I was glad as somebody who has dealt with this as a parent to uh, be able to weigh in. All right, let's get to work here. Story number one, the Mike Pence development. New York Times, this was treated as a huge bombshell um, in the evening last night. Former President Mike Pence has been subpoenaed by the special counsel. When I first saw this, I thought, okay, this is just having to do with those classified documents, not going to go anywhere, but no. He's been subpoenaed, the former VP has, uh, by the special counsel, Jack Smith, who's investigating Donald Trump. So this obviously has to do with the January 6th investigation. Uh, Time story says the move by DOJ sets up a likely clash over executive privilege, which Trump has used before to slow, delay, and block testimony from former administration officials in various investigations. ABC actually uh, reported this first, but I guess I saw it and a lot of other TV folks saw it in the New York Times. Not immediately clear uh, when this subpoena was issued. The most, Among the most aggressive yet by Jack Smith in his wide-ranging investigation into Trump's role in seeking to overturn the outcome of the 2020 election. Now, as everybody already knows who, you know, has followed this even tangentially, you know, Pence was pressured repeatedly by Donald Trump, and he's talked about this, and he's written about it in his book, to go to the Capitol on January 6th. That was the reason for that joint session, to certify the results of the Electoral College. And Trump pressured him and pressured him and said, you don't have to accept these results. You can challenge them in certain states. The vice president has that power. And to his everlasting credit, Mike Pence consulted with lawyers, with at least one former VP, and said he had no power. This was a ceremonial role. He could not block Joe Biden's election uh, in order to overturn the results of the election, thereby keeping himself and his boss in office. And, of course, that was the day of the Capitol riot. And that was also the day when there was a mob looking for Mike Pence. Hang Mike Pence was the chant. And he and his family had to hide out, he and his wife at least, and um, he refused to leave the Capitol because he didn't want it to be seen that the democratic process was on the run. Anyway, clearly this will be a legal battle. Clearly Donald Trump is not going to want Pence to testify. Pence himself may not be willing to testify. But when you have a special counsel with subpoena power, I mean, I'm sure they would obviously rather have Pence do this voluntarily than have to be forced. But the fact that there is a subpoena would suggest that they reached an impasse and, and that the former vice president did not agree to give testimony, which obviously would be used to build a case against the 45th president. And it's not like... Executive privilege is a completely made-up thing. I mean, this came up with Nixon and Watergate. And presidents of both parties have in, invoked executive privilege in order to make the argument that 
they're entitled to confidential advice without having that become public at a later date. Nevertheless, uh, it, you know, you can look at it two ways. Either it's a sign that Jack Smith is just being very aggressive in looking at all possible avenues. Uh, and this has nothing to do with, my, with classified documents all possible avenues uh, for the investigation of what Donald Trump did on January 6th and whether there's a potential criminal charge there. Or you could say he thinks he's got a case, and the fact that he's subpoenaing Pence shows that there could well be charges. I'm not convinced of that. But that's what happens when you have a special counsel. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Number two, we are learning more and more about not only the Chinese spy balloon that was shot down off the coast of South Carolina, which, uh, as I've mentioned, President Biden gave very brief notice to in the State of the Union. But now we're learning more about a whole bunch of Chinese spy balloons and surveillance. And all of it is troubling if you care about the security of this country. Um, The balloon was capable of collecting some forms of electronic communications and was part of a fleet of surveillance balloons directed by the Chinese military. None of this BS about we're just checking on the weather, that had flown over more than 40 countries, according to the State Department. While the balloon was still in the air, American U-2 surveillance planes, I'm reading here from a New York Times piece, uh, took images of it to determine its capabilities. And this is being put out now by state, clearly for intelligence surveillance, inconsistent with, you know, being a weather balloon. That's a joke. Um, The agency said the balloon had multiple antennas in an array that was likely capable of collecting and geolocating communications. In other words, listening in on people talking. Multiple active intelligence collection sensors. Obviously, they're going through the parts of the balloon they've been able to recover. U.S. government was confident that the company that made the balloon had direct commercial ties with the People's Liberation Army. That's the Chinese military. The U.S. will explore taking action against uh, China and entities linked to China that supported the balloon's incursion into U.S. airspace. So now we're seeing that it wasn't just some wayward balloon and the issue wasn't only when Joe Biden would order the military to shoot it down. He did order it, shot down when he was briefed on it. I guess it was last Wednesday of Wednesday of last week, and at the same time, there have been a bunch of balloons, and this is a major surveillance effort by the Chinese government and the Chinese military. American officials don't know exactly what kind of communications the satellite was trying to collect. Um, Officials say they took steps at nuclear launch sites and other military bases to make sure there was no useful information the balloon could collect. So they were all busy doing all this, while saying very little publicly. And as I said, this is our government, and it obviously doesn't start with 
the Biden administration because you did have the three after-the-fact discoveries of Chinese spy balloons during the Trump administration. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman telling a Senate committee yesterday that the balloon episode put on full display what we've long recognized, that China has become more repressive at home and more aggressive abroad, which leads me to the question, what the hell are you going to do about it? Biden administration has declassified certain information about this. Look, I think we've been played. I think China has sent these balloons around. We're not even finding out about them until after the fact. This was a a one-off in a way because some guy took a picture in Montana, which led to media coverage, which led to the Biden administration having to respond and monitor and try to limit any uh, damage from this balloon. I mean, it sounds... You know, it doesn't sound as scary in a way as, you know, spy satellites up in the sky, which everybody uses, all the major countries, including the U.S. But the Chinese are crafty, and this balloon surveillance is troubling. And the president's effort to just sort of wave it away as being something that we're going to look into, I mean, you know, there obviously be more hearings on this. And it's something to worry about. You know, in the in the spy versus spy world, there's always somebody with either new technology or a new technique. In this case, it's kind of old technology that's being brought back and can get better pictures because it's at 60,000 feet and not, at the, you know, at the outer limits of the atmosphere. So I don't usually do such a long, serious segment, but I feel like there's a lot more that we have to know and that journalists have to be asking questions. Why well, I'm glad to see this particular story and others like it about Chinese spying capabilities. Okay, I'm going to do this one, number three. You're going to react by saying, oh, George Santos, you know, you're just obsessed with the story. and What did he do now? But this actually has to do with potential criminal conduct. And this guy is under so many investigations, it's just amazing that he has time to worry about you know, trying to get a nice picture in the aisle with the President of the United States for the State of the Union. Or maybe he knows his time in Congress is short and he just wants to enjoy it. I don't know. But here's the piece in Politico. George Santos, now, of course, a freshman or fledgling, but certainly fabricating congressman, was charged with theft uh, in Pennsylvania's Amish country back in 2017 after a series of bad checks were written in his name to dog breeders. Remember that one of uh, Santos's signature efforts was to help animals, and he even created a kind of a charity to that effect, which didn't end up helping many animals. So just, again, according to Politico, just days after over $15,000 in checks were made out for puppies, according to, you know, what was written on the memo line of the checks, Santos held an adoption event at a Staten Island pet store with his animal rescue charity, Friends of Pets United, according to the store's Instagram account and someone who attended the event. So let's find out more about this. The charge was dismissed and the record was expunged, which is one of the reasons I guess we didn't know about this before now, after Santos claimed that someone had stolen his checkbook, according to the court and the lawyer. Santos facing at least five law enforcement investigations, including an FBI probe of whether his service dog charity um, 
was tied to was a scam, basically. Now, I don't know. Maybe it's true that George Santos's checkbook happened to have been stolen. But there are so many cases like this, and it often just seems as well that Santos is getting by on very little money. Remember, this is a guy who gave or loaned his, his most recent campaign, the 2020 campaign. He ran twice, lost the first time, this time won a seat before we knew about all the fakery in his resume. And more and more stuff keeps coming out. Okay, so here's a lawyer, according to this political piece, named Tiffany Bogosian. She went to middle school with Santos, um, but she ran into him at a Starbucks in Queens in 2019. Santos told her he had just lost a bid for Congress, and he asked her for help. He had been awakened uh, by a 4 a.m. knock on his door by NYPD officers who served him with an extradition warrant related to the Pennsylvania theft charge. So in early 2020, he asked this woman, Bogosian, for legal advice. He said he told her the same story that, that I've just related, that his checkbook had gone missing. He canceled the checkbook with TD Bank just days after getting it. He was involved in politics. He couldn't have an outstanding charge against him or he wouldn't be able to run. Uh, about a week later, he went to Pennsylvania and he told prosecutors that he had worked for the SEC, not true, that he successfully persuaded them to drop the charges. Uh, Bogosian now says she doesn't believe Santos's story because a few months later, she told the Washington Post that she introduced a personal injury client of hers who'd won a big settlement to Santos in late 2020, and he tried to recruit that person for this Harbor City Capital. This is the Florida firm where that was investigated by the SEC and decided ruled to be a Ponzi scheme. Now, Santos himself was never charged in connection with the Ponzi scheme, but it just, you know, it's like a bad penny. It just keeps turning up. He tries to recruit people for this, what the government says is a Ponzi scheme. Uh, her client wouldn't invest in this uh, outfit, Harbor City, telling CNN the rate of return promised by Santos sounded too good to be true. It just seems like this guy just didn't have much money. He was always bouncing around. He was wanted for fraud in Brazil at one time when he was a younger person, and and then this thing, and then the animal rescue. You know, it just seemed like he was bouncing from one thing to another. I did think it was weird, says this woman, Bogosian, uh, so weird at the time that his checks didn't have his address or phone number listed on them. So that's today's, you know, Santos saga installment. Uh, it is just kind of mind-boggling that he always has some sort of explanation, but he's always getting into trouble. In this case, in fairness, he did get the charge expunged. He was able to convince somebody that his checkbook had been stolen. Again, maybe that's true, but when you look at all the things that George Santos has been involved with, uh, I do have to wonder, given these multiple investigations, how much longer this guy is going to be a member of Congress. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. So let's turn to Elon Musk and Twitter, shall we? Story four. Washington Post has a piece based on a group that clearly is not friendly to Elon Musk. It's called the Center for Countering Digital Hate. 
It says that simply by restoring 10 Twitter accounts that were banned under the previous management of Twitter, and you'll remember, you know, basically, Elon Musk declared a general amnesty for all of the accounts that were suspended or banned, including Donald Trump, which is why he's entitled uh, to come back on the platform. By the way, a little aside here, I just read that um, Facebook has now finished restoring Trump's account there. And it's weird. It's kind of a, a like a, a time machine. You look at it, and what's up there is the last thing he tweeted, January 6, 2021, about, you know, let's go demonstrate, but let's do it peacefully. I mean, wow. You know, it's like going, it's like when somebody buries a box of stuff and you dig it up 10 years later, and it's got this old stuff that you forgot about. Not that anybody's forgotten about January 6th. But anyway, he can go on Facebook and tweet something new if he so desires, or he continue to just do it on his truth social platform. Anyway, coming back to this Washington Post story, 10 of these accounts that were banned by the previous management have generated enough engagement to likely generate, that's a kind of a hedge here, $19 million in ad revenue according to this report. Uh, And the fact that Musk is scrambling to restore ad revenue um, is obviously a problem for him. Uh, Quote, our research shows that there is a depressingly banal answer to why Elon Musk would reinstate the accounts of self-professed Nazis, disinformation actors, misogynists, and homophobes. It's highly profitable according to this Center for Countering Digital Hate. Uh, Some of the examples of ads, they're obviously trying to get these accounts banned. Uh, There are ads for Amazon, Apple, the NFL, and others appearing right next to content from these 10 what are described as extremist influencers. In one instance, an ad for Wendy's appeared next to a tweet by an anti-vaccine influencer, Stu Peters, 168,000 followers, where he refers to the vaccine as a bioweapon and claims people have been murdered by it. Do I think something like that should be up? No. Um, And then it comes down to where you draw the line. And are you making money off of obvious lies or hate speech or just disinformation? And I know, obviously, Elon Musk is trying, you know, fired most of the Twitter employees. Well, here's another example for the Peacock streaming service affiliated with NBC. Here's an influencer. Uh, it's a, a Peacock ad appeared next to an influencer known as Baked Alaska, who was recently sentenced for his role in the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Uh, there was a tweet where this guy, Mr. Alaska, <laughs> um, asked his followers whether they should say, whether he should say the N-word. Why would you ask that question? Why would you even think about saying the N-word? Also, brand as appeared next to tweets about election fraud, vaccine conspiracy theories, false statements about Ukraine and bioweapons, tweets, uh, tweets denigrating women in business. Look, I, I mean, look, there's a tough balance here to be struck between freedom of speech because some things that people said, let's just say about COVID, two, three years ago, which were barred by places like Facebook and Twitter, are now recognized at least to be plausible or perhaps true. For example, you know, the damage to school kids from the prolonged lockdown of schools in 
much of the country. But, you know, claiming that vaccines kill you and false statements about Ukraine, denigrating women. I mean, this is why you need content moderation. Twitter doesn't seem to have much of that under Elon Musk, except if something comes to his attention, he gets on there and he says, I'll look into it. And often, like, he restores the account, like the one with the Republican senator who was temporarily suspended for having a profile picture, uh, Steve Daines from Montana, uh, of him hunting with his wife and a animal head. So I don't have the answer to this. I do know it's a major league freaking headache for Elon Musk, who maybe thought, you know, he would just take this libertarian approach and it would be easy to do. Well, it's not easy to do. And one of the purposes of this report, obviously, is to say that Twitter makes money off some pretty hateful or inaccurate stuff. And I don't think that story is over. And I, and we'll see what Musk does about it. It's one thing for him to be now one of the most famous people on the planet, as well as if he's not the world's richest man, he's, you know, up there number two or number three. But how you handle this, I mean, every single social media site, including TikTok, which, you know, a lot of lawmakers, it's been banned from government phones in a lot of states and uh, federally because this concern about national security, it's a Chinese-owned company. But even beyond that, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, you name it, there's a lot of garbage on there, as I talked about at the top. All right, let's wrap up with number five so I can uh, hope you have a good weekend and remind you that Media Buzz will be on the air at 11 a.m. Eastern on Sunday and perhaps with at least one guest from the Super Bowl. All right, number five. New York Times has a piece about John Fetterman and his health issues. Fetterman, of course, the guy who suffered a stroke in the middle of his campaign, was running against Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, uh, had that awful debate performance when he went up against Oz. Everybody thought he was done. But Pennsylvania being a more of a blue state, he ended up winning election by several percentage points. And Dr. Oz gets to continue to be Dr. Oz. So the sergeant in arms for live audio to text transcription for the various committees on which Senator Fetterman serves uh, is making sure that he can get, uh, you know, closed captioning because this was difficult for him. He, the reason this story appeared today is that on Wednesday, so it's just two days ago, Fetterman was hospitalized after feeling lightheaded after attending a day-long uh, Democratic retreat here in D.C., Test, he got tested, no signs of another stroke. Spokesman said he's in good spirits, talking to families and family members and staffers. But he spent a second night in the hospital as doctors monitored him for any possible seizure. That looks like it did not happen. Um, now, this is being played in some corners, and I've seen some of this on the net. As you see, there was a cover-up. Fetterman was in much worse medical shape than we knew at the time. And this is an outrage, and people should have known about this before he voted, before the election of which Fetterman won. But look, nobody could know back in November what kind of shape Fetterman would be in February because there were two other senators who had strokes who recovered pretty well. And, of course, if you're John Fetterman, you're going to take all precautions given the severity of the stroke 
that almost killed him. I don't care that he's using closed captioning. And other senators, of course, are saying, look, we have to accommodate him when we talk to him. So um, Fetterman, according to this piece, we already knew this because we've seen it in interviews as well as in that debate, suffers some auditory processing issues. And he relies on a tablet to transcribe what's being said to him. His hearing problem is inconsistent, according to this piece. When he's in an unfamiliar or a stressful situation, his hearing issues can get worse. When it's bad, Fetterman has described trying to make out the muffled voice of the teacher in the Peanuts cartoon, whose words could never be deciphered. It's just like, wow, 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 wow. Yeah, you know, everybody's seen the Peanuts cartoon. I don't have to do my rendition of it. So after the stroke, uh, the, the story reminds us, Fetterman had a uh, pacemaker and a defibrillator implanted, but also it's taken a psychological toll on him. It's been less than a year since the stroke, and this is a big guy with large stature, and now he is frustrated that he's not yet back to the man that he was. He, he used to like talking to journalists in the hallway. He can't do that anymore because there's, if you've been on Capitol Hill, you know, it's like any office building. There's a lot of people talking. There are echoes, and he can't. Um, make out voices very well. He can sit down with a one-on-one for a journalist, but not do the thing where you stop and talk to reporters in the hallway. Uh, Adam Gentleson, former Senate staffer, says before the stroke, he was the kind of person who loved the give and take with reporters. The challenge is to be able to get back to that place given the current limitation. So, look, the guy was hospitalized out of an abundance of caution. He has certain disabilities, just as, you know, there's a senator who uses a wheelchair. And it's a challenge. I don't buy the notion that this was somehow minimized or covered up during the campaign. Indeed, if you it was painful to watch that debate with Dr. Oz uh, because Fetterman would lose his train of thought. He, was, he would repeat his answer. Um, it just was an ugly outing for a man who you have to have sympathy for. Um, people could were perfectly free to vote against him if they thought he wasn't up to the job of a United States senator. But it's a work in progress. I mean, maybe he'll be in better shape in six months from now or a year from now than he is now. But this hospitalization has prompted concern about his health, and obviously uh, this story saying that it's been an adjustment, it's been a struggle, more so than if you're just a new freshman member of Congress. So with that, always appreciate the time uh, on your part to listen to what I have to say on a whole bunch of things, some important, some not so important, some just fun. Again, have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday with more BuzzMeter. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.